You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Bills Mafia, what is up? Wednesday night, the live show. We are live with uh, my man Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. Sal, we're a couple days away here from we think the start of some actual football. I, I feel like I feel like we usually feel right before we get to St. John Fisher. Yeah, it's a different feel this year because we're not out there, right? I mean, uh, it's kind of weird to think, guys, that in two days, forty-eight hours from right now, basically. The Bills were supposed to kick off their preseason. That's pretty amazing to think about in Baltimore. Um, you know, if this was a normal time, I'd actually be on a plane tomorrow to Baltimore. We'd all be, you know, going out there to 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 cover the team. Maybe you'd already be there. Who knows? But uh, it's interesting. But you know what? We're going to start watching some real football here in about a week, I think. We're going to get out there and we're going to start seeing the team. And, um, you know, at least we can start talking about football in the real sense again, aside from all this other stuff going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he is my tag team partner. Got to welcome him into the show as always, Mr. Ryan Talbot. How are you, my friend? You went up to, uh, Syracuse this week and you went to my spot, my, my, one of my favorite restaurants and Sal, I don't know if you've been there. Possibilities. They got the spicy chicken riggies. Ryan sent me a picture. I'm so jealous. Give us your official review. How are they? Uh, delicious, but I was sweating. It had a little kick to it, it but really, really good. That's what I like to hear. I mean, you, you got to have, I'm a big Thai food guy. I like a little spice in my food. So that's great. Uh, shout out to Del Reed, 26 shirts. Get me, uh, get me going here. Buffalo baseball. Uh, it arrived today. I was so excited. The, the Toronto Blue Jays opened up their home schedule in Buffalo yesterday. Uh, so that was exciting seeing all the people. Uh, what were your impressions of that sale? Seeing everybody uh, up at the through it, trying to just get a glimpse of it. It was so cool. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I just, I feel a lot of civic pride, you know, having the Blue Jays here in town. I think number one, because the city of Buffalo, which I love, grew up in and, you know, it, you see it on TV, you see all the, the, the datelines on the, on the guy, you guys like you who write, you know, a lot of stories, Buffalo, New York, see it on sports center, Buffalo, New York, but even more so, how about the fact that Buffalo just stepped up? 
and you know it was needed and it really stepped to the plate no pun intended to help out uh, another a team a city in this situation I, I think it's a lot to be proudful of here in buffalo and it looks great the stadium looks amazing outside and inside those pictures are just incredible Mm -hmm. You can find Sal Sports, as I'm sure you all know, Sal Capaccio on WGR 550. He's got his podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to that, uh, Sal Sports and Stuff. It's on iTunes. It's on all the ones. Did a great series uh, reviewing all of last year's games. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about the 53-man roster tonight, our projections. And, you know, Sal went back and really dug into last season. It's some uh, really good listens. So check that out. Before we dive too deep into tonight, we're going to talk about a couple things. I want to give a quick shout-out to a Bills fan. Uh, Eric Hickman, who unfortunately in the last couple of days lost his battle uh, with stage four uh, stomach cancer. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, I, I pride myself on always, you know, trying to interact with Bill's Mafia, get to know as many of you guys as I can. And I, I didn't know Eric very well. I, I seen him pop up from time to time, uh, but he seemed to just love the Bills. And uh, I enjoyed his feed whenever I saw one of his tweets come down my side, uh, down my uh, timeline. So I, I just want to give him a quick shout out. Um, I went back through some of his tweets and he had a fun one from the Dallas Cowboys game and just how remarkable it was to experience that as a Bills fan, as I'm sure all you guys enjoyed that, but it was cool for him to have that moment. Uh, he's got a, uh, a GoFundMe uh, going up. They got $35,000 raised to help his family. Uh, and I know Bills Mafia always likes to give back to uh, those in need and, and, and fellow uh, Mafia members. So I just want to give him a quick shout out. You know, you always be remembered, man. And uh, I, I know Bill's Mafia uh, really uh, su supports uh, what you guys are going through, you and your family. Um, but moving on, so we got a couple things that we're going to get into tonight. And we obviously had some news today. Uh, Sean McDermott uh, extended uh, to 2025. Basically, you know, Sal, you uh, quote tweeted, I think it was Ian Rappaport, uh, who said basically this, this is almost like a four-year extension. You know, right. I, I, on his current deal, right? It is what it is. It's a four-year extension. It's um, it's two years still left on his deal plus four more. So it's a four-year extension. So reports saying it's a six-year extension. It's a six-year deal total counting the next two years, but he already had those coming to him. So my assumption is we don't know the money that he's getting new money in this part of the deal. He's getting new money for the next two years, and then he's getting four years added on. So that's what it is. Um, you know, good for the Bills because – I think Sean McDermott is a good head coach. I think this franchise is in good hands with Sean McDermott. And obviously I think now that um, eyes turn towards Brandon Bean, we've seen extensions around the league for both head coaches and general managers guys. And now I think we have to see if um, Brandon Bean is next up in line to get an extension as well. Ryan, what, what were your, you know, obviously this is something that for weeks now, months, I feel like this has been simmering. You know, you know, especially on Bill's Bill's Twitter. You know, when is this going to happen? Let's get this locked up. There was a story earlier this year uh, where obviously some some things going on within Pagula Sports and Entertainment, and some concerning quotes from an athletic story. You know that maybe Sean McDermott uh, was a little hesitant about maybe signing up long term because of some issues. This kind of clearly shows that he's all in. Not that I think that he ever wasn't, but I think anytime you see some, you know. Some things bubble up there. You get a little bit, uh, you know, worried as a Bills fan. Oh, without a doubt. But in, you know, the, the the Pagulas really seem to hit on this combination of McDermott and Bean. But you know, McDermott deserves this extension. Two playoff appearances in three seasons after the Bills had that drought for seventeen seasons. I I, I know there was one little not not necessarily a knock, but 
someone was saying that of all the coaches that have received extensions in the last few years, McDermott's the only one that hasn't won a playoff game. Uh, but he's had them on the cusp of it. He had them right in that, that Houston game. They were in that Jacksonville game even in 2017. So, you know, that's not enough for me to say that he didn't deserve an extension. He clearly did. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when the money comes out based on what these other coaches around the league have been get, get, uh, receiving from the, the their teams. And then, as Sal said, I think Brendan Bean's next in line. I think it'll probably be sooner rather than later because that's a combination that meshes so well with one another. Uh, I, I can't see Bean being very far behind in terms of signing a new deal. I'm sorry. Can you guys hear my dog? My dog's barking in the background. This is what happens on these live streams right now. And there she is right there. So I'm just for one second going to step away and let you talk while I take care of that. And I'll be right back. I just don't want to interrupt the stream here. Do it. You, he's doing the uh, the one-man band. Uh, he's got Max at home tonight uh, solo. So he's going to be in and out probably a, as we go here. But the, the cool thing, I think, you know, from a Bill's perspective about, about this development is now – you know, you can really buy in on the build, the rebuild. You know what I mean? It, it's something that you know that the guy that that's really the vision visionary of this. And listen, I I give Brandon Bean a ton of credit for for what they've been able to build here. I mean, he went out there, he he brought in tons of different players and and made tons of different trades. I mean, it, I almost feel like it's a 50-50 split, but in terms of you know, executing the plan, you got to get players that fit not only in your system, but as we heard from AJ Klein today, you got to get guys that fit in from a character character perspective as well. And I think Sean McDermott does a really, really nice job of tag teaming things with, with Brandon as far as that goes and finding the right guys. And now things are in place for the next couple of years. This really could be something that's built into something that's sustainable uh, for longer than just a one-year run in 2020. I mean, this uh, this could be something where we're, we we could see a changing of the guard as long as Josh Allen develops, as we all think that he will, or some of us think that he will, uh, into a real potential powerhouse in the AFC. Yeah, if I can for a second, guys, too. And again, thanks for that. Um, you know, I, I grew up here in Buffalo, and I went through the Super Bowl years watching you know great teams with great leadership, and then like everybody, you know, went through the the drought and things like that. And I will tell you, this is the first time since the 1990s that the bills have had, I think really in alignment of front office, you know, from general manager ownership to general manager to head coach, you know, they've had good people here and there. They've had good seasons, I guess, you know, didn't make the playoffs, you know, times where it looked like they had some talent, things like that, but they've never really had a general manager and a head coach, it seemed like they had the same vision on the same page with ownership backing them, you know, every, every step of the way. And I think that's the difference here between Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean versus everything else that we've seen throughout in Buffalo since the 1990s, really since the Super Bowl years, I think you have to go back to really John Butler being the general manager, you know, after he took over for Bill Polian after he left, I think it's been that long. Otherwise it's just been basically people infighting, having their own agendas, egos, things like that. And, you know, we don't see that with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And I think that that's really been the biggest difference between this regime and the past regimes that could not get to the playoffs. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, the one thing that he's preached is culture from day one. And, and I, I truly feel like the culture of this team is better than it's been in a, a long time, many, many regimes before uh, Bean and McDermott came along. So he, he really has executed his vision. You're hearing players trust the process. I want to be the best version of myself. Kind of following the lead of what Sean McDermott has said in his tenure here, 
And clearly his execution on signing players and drafting players that fit their mold has worked out really well. Yeah. I mean, it was just what, four years ago that we were all at St. John Fisher watching Rex Ryan eat a dog biscuit. You know, I mean, we were, we were, <laughs> we were watching him put uh, Clemson helmets on and show us clips of his son holding. I know he's proud and all that. And that's cool. You know, holding the ball as a holder for the football team. Like this is, a much, this is a 180 from what Rex Ryan, what the Rex Ryan Bills were like. And really, for that matter, what the Doug Wheelie Bills were like. Doug Wheelie actually was not bad at finding talent. But to your point, Ryan, you're so right. All he cared about was finding talent. It wasn't necessarily about the right fit and the culture. It was, hey, I got football players. Put them together. They're going to be fine. A.J. Klein actually said the exact opposite of that today. He said, you can't just get a bunch of football players and be good. You have to have respect for one another. You have to have a good culture and understand what each other's roles are. And I think that's how this organization has been built for the last three years under these guys. Um, he is Sal Capaccio, uh, bottom right of your screen, WGR 550. Uh, he is taking uh, some very gracious time tonight to join us to talk about all things Bills because we are four days away we think from th this thing really getting ramped up here. I mean, it's so weird. Eight months without any football. It, it, it's going to be really interesting next week. I think that interest level across the, the fan base is really going to get ratcheted up quite a bit. Um, as always, my co-host, bottom left, uh, Ryan Talbot, uh, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. I'm Matt Perino. Head there right now. Pull up the Bills 53-man roster that I published this morning, and we're going to go into it a little bit here today. We're going to we're going to take off the gloves maybe for a couple of these positions and, and really let them fly because uh, I think, first of all, I will say before we get into this, when you do something like this, and you know, I think Sal and I talked about this as well. We really don't know what any of this is going to look like. It's a whole new world. Rookies are at a, at such a disadvantage going into this next, uh, you know, two three week evaluation period because there's the only thing that they're really going to be able to use to evaluate are the practices and potential scrimmages. So it, it, it's a totally different ball game. I think everybody is going to be, you know, uh, given the advantage to to mostly veterans uh, going into this year across the league. Uh, so we took I took that into account in making this uh, evaluation. This projection, not only that, but also the salary cap is a big piece of this thing now because you're looking at, we talked about it a lot with Joe B last week. You look ahead to 2021 where we're talking about a potential reduction in the cap by almost 20 or more million. You know, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they're going to have to get to work right now in making sure that they can, you know, make things fiscally uh, possible to, to extend some guys in the next year. So we'll get into all that. But first and foremost, I'm going to open the floor to the both of you. So why don't you start? Where was your biggest bone to pick with my 53-man roster? So your 53-man roster, and let me look at you, because you also sent me what their locks would be, right? So I yeah, that we'll do that later. We'll do that okay, later. Okay, okay. So let me let me go and pull that up again. By the way, did you guys notice that um, I wore the Syracuse hat? You know, to to because to thank you basically and to give you a little pub. So I love it. I love it. We're going to put that on the front of Syracuse.com. Go orange. I'm going to, I know, right? You should, I'm going to actually pull up your 53 man roster here because I had it on my page and I lost. So I lost it for a second. So I'll let Ryan just kind of talk for a minute before I pull it back up and take a look at it. If you guys don't mind. I love it. Yeah. Ahead, uh, I actually really liked it, Matt. I thought you, you did a really good job breaking down that roster. Uh, and, and it's kind of funny how things have changed over the last few months, because shortly after the draft, when I was doing these mock drafts, I thought Jake Brown was a guy you had to put on the roster. I thought, oh, this team has to carry three quarterbacks now. I don't feel that way anymore. Whether whether it's the the texts and things like that that Fromm sent out, I, I don't feel like his roster spot is necessarily safe. 
at, at this point in time, I feel like the Bills probably feel like he's someone that you could get on your practice squad uh, and, and feel comfortable about that. I don't know if another team would want to poach him and put him on their main roster in 2020, considering one, you wouldn't be able to get him onto that uh, lineup for, you know, at least five days or onto your roster or however the case may be there. Uh, I, I like the kicker situation. We went back and forth on that earlier this offseason between Hauschka and Bass. I felt like if you're going to draft Bass, who was the number one kicker on a lot of those draft analyst boards going into this thing, you're not going to necessarily uh, put him out there and try to get him on your practice squad because I think leading up to the season, there's going to be a lot of teams that aren't happy with their kicker situations and they would roll the dice on a guy like that. So, you know, Hauschka is not going to, he won't take much time to find a new home if he is the one that loses it at the kicker battle in Buffalo. But at some point, you kind of have to turn the page. And I think the kicker is the one position where you are going to actually go with youth over experience. Okay, so Matt, I think the the biggest thing that I would say that I probably disagree with you on is when I look at your tight ends, the Bills, to me, are keeping Lee Smith because he's such a great blocker. Mm -hmm. um, the, the tight ends you have them keeping are all the same kind of guy. You know, they don't have that extra blocker in there. You have them keeping Knox, Croft, and Sweeney. None of them are really inline blockers. Now, obviously, they can do the job decently. I think um, Dawson Knox kind of showed that he can do that. But I think Lee Smith is on this team. Lee Smith is the only true blocking tight end this team has. And I think that he makes the team based on that. Um, I would probably lean Bahorquez right now over Vedvik. I have no problem with it. I do agree with you. I think Tyler Bass makes it over Steven Hauschka for a lot of the reasons that Ryan said. I kind of think it's, it's interesting to me. If... If Hauschka were to make it, I think that increases the chance of Vedvik to make it because they would need a stronger leg for kickoffs and maybe longer field goals. But if Bass makes it, I think you don't need as much Vedvik. So I think Bass kind of gives Bohorquez kind of more of an edge by him making it, whereas I think, you know, Hauschka making it gives um, Vedvik a little bit more of a chance to make it. So that's interesting. But I think tight end is where I would probably say I, I would disagree and say that I think Lee Smith makes this team as much as a lot of Bills fans don't want to hear it. The Bills want a blocking tight end on the roster to be able to have that package. I totally see it. And I think that the reason why I probably went with no Lee Smith more so than anything was for a couple extra million over the next couple seasons. And the fact that as great of a blocker as he is in a veteran presence, I think that you're going to want to get those two guys, Sweeney and uh, Croft on the field more. And with Smith in the mix, I just don't think that you can do that. I do believe you because as much as I wanted to uh, commit to the argument that there would be no Patrick DeMarco last year, we all saw how that played out and they like certain things, whether it be on offense or defense, where they feel comfortable locker room guys, Tyler Croft, who was supposed to be a leader, talked about it. Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney talked about it. Lee Smith is a guy that could show a lot of these younger players the ropes. And to move on from that, there's going to have to be a good reason. Somebody's going to have to beat them out. And, you know, we were talking about this before the show. Tommy Sweeney, you know, is a guy that, you know, Ryan wanted to put on his locks list to make the roster where he kind of cha changed his mind at the last minute because we don't know what the health situation is going to be like when we get to start the season. Is Tommy Sweeney going to be ready coming back from the foot injury? We'll see. Uh, but, but, but I do, I, I, I kind of waffle back and forth on that. I, I think that, so let me ask you this. Let's, let's discuss this. How many tight ends do they keep? Do they keep four? You know, it's a good question. Uh, they have kept four uh, on the roster at one time. I think at the end of the day, they probably only keep three because this team needs core special teams guys. They've talked about making sure they have better special teams. And I think if you're going to do that, as much as tight ends can play special teams, 
I think you're probably maybe trimming the fat from, from that. And especially considering, you know, Dawson Knox is probably becoming more of a guy who can play as both a pass catcher and a blocker. You don't need, you don't need a, a lot of those guys. You don't need a lot of guys to play different, different spots of the tight end position. As much as I say, you do need a guy like Lee Smith. I think you can cover all bases with three tight ends instead of four, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you coach the game. Let me ask you this as well. How important is Lee Smith in year one for Cody Ford on that right side, as opposed to year two, where you're hoping that he takes some step, maybe a, a blocking only tight end isn't as important as in, in year two, or, or maybe it still is. Yeah. I think, you know, because Cody Ford did struggle sometimes last year with speed rushers, giving him a little help on the outside. If you line up a tight end out there, you know, that gives him a little bit of help out there. There's no doubt about that. Um, the other thing about Lee Smith is, believe it or not, he actually can be like kind of an extra tackle if you ever needed that guy to step in there. And I, I think the Bills have given themselves enough leeway now with the depth they have an offensive line. They can keep enough guys, especially the way the rosters can be uh, transformed this year. There were some new rules about that and things like that. So, yeah, I think just formation-wise, you know, but it doesn't have to be Lee Smith. So I, Tommy Sweeney's an interesting one to me. I like Tommy Sweeney a lot. I could see Tommy Sweeney, though, being on the practice squad this year because – they might just feel that they have enough guys who do what he does who are just a little bit better, but they would still like him to develop. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, talk a little bit about the Tommy Sweeney uh, decision that you had because, and we'll get to locks later, but this is one that that works for right now. You know, you were your guy that believes in Tommy Sweeney. You think he can he can be an impact player. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I like Sweeney's game when he came out. Uh, I felt like he was kind of hyped up actually as just a blocker coming into the league, but I thought he kind of showed himself uh, well as a pass catcher. I know he didn't get a lot of opportunities last year in his rookie year, but in week 17, yeah, it was a meaningless game, but he went over 100 yards with Matt Barkley throwing him the ball. He did pretty decently early in the season when they were kind of uh, down in numbers in terms of tight ends. So I thought when he was given opportunities, he played well. And, And when you look at the future, you know, Tyler Croft, I feel, is here this year, but what, what's his long-term future in Buffalo? I'm not sure there is one. So behind Dawson Knox, you, you, you have Elise Smith, who is getting up there. I think he, he has a good shot of playing out this contract. But you have to think, what else do you have there long-term? And I feel like Sweeney has the ability to be one of those long-term answers, develop into maybe that number two tight end. But to Sal's point, you're going to have a 16-man practice squad this year. Uh, you, you're going to have to have core special teamers. So a guy like Taiwan Jones, who isn't going to really do anything as a running back, he's going to make this roster. I have him as a lock. You have a guy like Tyler Matikavich, who's going to, yeah, he'll be linebacker depth, but he's he was brought in to be a core special teams player. So at, at the end of the day, I see that argument. I, I can see why a guy like Tommy Sweeney, who I do believe in, could end up being on, on the practice squad and, and not a lock. I really do think this injury as well kind of opens the door for the Bills to say, well, listen, you know, we we didn't get to see a lot of you in practice leading up to the season. We know what Lee Smith can provide, especially uh, early on in some divisional games where maybe uh, you're going to need that. So I I don't necessarily feel like he is a lock anymore, but I definitely wavered on that uh, as Sweeney probably more than any other player. And and two two points on that. Number one, you know, they can't really cut Croft. They did restructure his contract to make it a one-year deal, and there's just way too much dead money now. They guaranteed him, basically. Mm-hmm. It was, hey, we're going to give you more money for you to cut off a year of your contract, essentially, so that they're not tied to him long-term. But, guys, he's making the team. Tyler mm-hmm. Croft, dead money is like $5 million. It's just not going to happen. You know, so Tyler Croft's on the team. We all know Dawson Knox is on the team. I think that's probably room for one more. And like I said, I think that has to be a blocking tight end. The other part is, like you just touched on, Ryan, we also don't know the, the extent of this injury. 
Like he could start the season on the pup list, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that creates an open roster spot. And then, you know, down the road, you have to figure out what else you want to do. But if Tommy Sweeney starts the season on the pup list, well, then he's not a part of the active roster and they're going to have six weeks to figure out what to do with him anyway. Does he have to make the 53? No, not on the pup. Okay. So they can put, they can get him out of there. Okay. They can can put him on the pup to start the season. Um, if they want to put somebody on injured reserve, if it's before the 53 is made, then they're out for the year. But otherwise they have to make the 53, then put them on injured reserve. And then they can come back in three weeks because of the new rules, basically. And that leads us to, I think another area here where I was looking, I, I like, I like your offensive line that you did, Matt, but we don't know what John Feliciano status is. I do predict John Feliciano is going to be on some list. I don't know which list that's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he may wind up making the team then being put on IR because now you only have to keep him there three weeks and it's a wait and see um, before you want to bring him back. He may wind up on the pup as well, giving him six weeks before he has to go on the active roster. But I think John Feliciano probably winds up on one of those lists before the uh, before final cuts are made. And I think the pup option is one that, it's a calculated risk, you know, for the bills, obviously you're going to go in blind with winters likely at right guard, but the guy brings in quite a bit of experience, a lot of stars in this league, and it gives Feliciano some time to recover. Listen, I don't think you want him rushing back. I know he said, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders game in week four, and that's all well and good. But if you have to keep him out a couple extra weeks to make sure that that injury is fully recovered, I I think that's the best option. So I think that from that perspective, it it makes a lot of sense. Let's go to receiver, though, before we go to the defensive side of the ball, because I had the Bills keeping six. In some projections, I've had them keeping as many as seven because I know they love Isaiah McKenzie, what he brings in the locker room. He's a real fun guy, as as we know, Sal, being around him weekly, daily uh, during the season. He's a guy that keeps it really light in there. He's liked by his teammates. He has versatility. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. Um, But I had him being the final cut along with Duke Williams and Robert Foster just because I think that there's a lot of, you know, uh, I think that there's upside with not only Gabriel Davis, who I think is a lock, but Isaiah Hodgins, who's going to play most of his, you know, snaps at this level in the slot as well. Yeah. And if I could, um, I'm, I'm looking in your chat box and there's an interesting question about um, the practice squad stuff and that could lead us to. So before I forget, if I can answer Heather's question in the, in yeah, the, about, great. About the practice squad. Pro. Um, what a yeah, pro. yeah. Heather, Heather asked, um, does Sweeney become a pre- protected practice squad player? I just want to. Be clear, because there's a lot of confusion on how this works. I want to make sure people understand how this works. Sure, he could be, but he still has to clear waivers just to make the practice squad. So, you know, you're still, if you want to get rid of somebody and say, oh, we're going to make him a practice squad protected player, you still got to release him at cuts. He's still got to go through waivers. He's subject to be claimed by any team in this league. Then if he's not, then you can sign him to the practice squad, and then you can protect him starting on Tuesday of the first week. But then he's unprotected again for two days the next week. Got to protect him again the next week. Then he's unprotected. So there's a lot of hoops to still jump through there. So to answer your question, Heather, I would say, sure, you can protect Tommy Sweeney on the practice squad, but you got to get him there. And if there's another team that likes a young tight end, if he gets released, he's going to go through waivers and that team could wind up picking him up. So there's always a danger with anybody on the roster, you know, who that could happen. So I just wanted to clear that up. Um, wide receivers, Matt, I really like what you did. Uh, I, I looked at your wide receivers. I have no quarrels with it. I think it would be the exact same group that I would go with Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Davis, Roberts, and Hodgins. Um, to me, the bills are keeping six. You know why? Because that's all they've done under Sean McDermott. I went back hmm. and looked 2017, 2018, 2019, every single year that Sean McDermott has been the head coach of the bills. They've only kept six wide receivers. And that includes Andre Roberts as a return man. Look, 
I know they play, they're going to play more 11 personnel this year based on their success they had last year. So maybe you say, oh, they need three receivers on the field at once. But I also say, I don't think a lot of snaps are available because when do you really see Diggs, Brown, and Beasley coming off the field that much? So if you're going to keep an extra wide receiver, like a seventh guy, he's got to be somebody you're justifying keeping because of snaps. And I just don't see there's going to be a seventh guy in this roster that's going to get those snaps. And they have investment now in the two guys they drafted, Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. So I agree with you, Matt. I think at the end of the day, that's how it shakes out. The only question I would have is maybe, just maybe you think Hodgins can develop. We can hopefully get him through onto the practice squad. And then we can keep a guy like Foster, Williams, or McKenzie Mm -hmm. who shows out, you know, during training camp. But boy, I think all three of those guys, Foster, McKenzie, and Williams right now are on the outside looking in. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I felt like those first five names are guaranteed locks with, with Gabe Davis being number five, Andre Roberts being uh, number four. But at the same time, I'm sure they, they, they really like Isaiah Hodgins. They drafted him for a reason. He, he does bring some direct competition to some of those veterans that they have on their roster. So those would be the, the ones I would roll with as well. But there is still an outside shot for a guy like an Isaiah McKenzie who's proven himself as a gadget player. You know, Robert Foster, I went into last year thinking that there was something really there. He really struggled, though, in 2019 after that second half in 2018 where he and and Josh Allen really showed some kind of special chemistry. I'm not saying that it's over for him yet, but a a guy like Foster could really be good on on the practice squad if he can clear waivers. Uh, Duke Williams with his age and and being like a week-by-week possibility to bring up is another guy that you could add there. So. They, they have options with the 16-man practice squad like they've never had before where they could sneak some of those guys on there, in my opinion. Uh, but if you really like your two rookies, you got to kind of roll with them. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, you know, Duke Williams offered something this team didn't have last year. He had that big body that they needed. They, they don't need that now. They drafted Gabe Davis. They drafted Isaiah Hodgins. He doesn't bring a unique skill set or something unique about himself that he did last year. I think we all looked and said, remember, Sean McDermott's called his own receivers the Smurfs last year, right? Mm-hmm. And Duke Williams represented something they didn't have. That's no longer the case. So I think that hurts Duke in the long run that they kind of found those guys. They they did draft a bigger bodied Isaiah Hodgins. They, you know, he might be a little leaner, but he's taller. They did draft Gabe Davis. So I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for the for for Duke Williams uh to make this roster. And what did Stefan Diggs say, or John Brown, I should say, what did John Brown say about the rookies that he really talked about their knowledge of the playbook and said they know the playbook better than veterans? That kind of gets me wondering. If there's some guys, veterans who aren't into the playbook and know the playbook and don't have the system down as much as the team wants, and maybe that could spell doom for one of these guys. Oh, 100%. Without a doubt. Um, Nick brings up a good, good point, and this was going to be a follow-up. Uh, Foster possible trade value. Out of the three of them, I think that Robert Foster falls perfectly into that Brandon Bean, go out there and steal a day three pick right before the season bucket because you know foster's a guy that puts so much good stuff on tape in 2018 that i still think that there's some juice there and he just didn't get the opportunities last year you can kind of sell that but if they could turn robert foster into fourth round pick like you mentioned with these two rookies that they're going to want to integrate into the system i mean that's that's a typical bean move yeah and on top of that you know matt you talked about how every dollar is going to count this year 
Robert Foster is basically making the minimum salary you can make in this league. I mean, mm. you know, he was an exclusive rights free agent that all they had to do was tender him a, a qualifying offer. So I think that is in his favor, obviously, that, you know, that that's going to be a low end salary at a position that usually you don't get a lot of that. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, if it's really close, maybe that's a deciding factor that actually winds up saving Robert Foster. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I don't know about, uh, I, just, I don't know so much about trade value for a guy like Robert Foster. I don't know if there's, you know, maybe there's a team that needs that deep threat that goes back and looks at that 2018 film. Maybe there's something there, a very late day three. Uh, but I'm not sure about that. I, I think that this they're set up once again, though, to maybe have an offensive lineman or two possibly be swung uh, for, for a draft. Like, I think Bean really has a strong line there, and I think there's some promising players some younger guys that may not make this roster that maybe you can end up getting some value for out there on the market. All right, let's transition to locks because it's going to be, uh, you know, a couple of these positions on the defensive side of the ball tie in pretty nicely uh, with this. So I, I texted Sal and Ryan uh, a couple hours before we we're going to start the show. And I said, all right, going through the projection, who are your locks? Who are you going into this thing saying, you can't convince me that the this X number of players aren't making this team. And we and we put a list together, each of us, and we sent it around. Ryan and I both had 39 players that we think are locks to make the roster. Sal coming in with 37. And let's start at the quarterback position because this was an interesting one. Ryan has um, Barkley as a lock, while Sal and I did not. And, and there's even a further question here that you want to raise out why don't you bring it up in yeah terms and, of and i think I, I understand the thinking of anybody who says matt barkley would be a lock in this situation having the veteran backup you know a shortened off season but here's i think here's the dilemma first of all this team has never carried three quarterbacks other than when they had the injury situation to josh allen and Derek nathan peterman Derek anderson that situation where they had to you know kind of go back and forth mm -hmm. um they, they only carry two i don't think they want to carry three quarterbacks so if that's the case, you have to ask yourself, who has a better chance of getting into the clearing waivers and going to the practice squad, Matt Barkley or Jake Fromm? I think it's Matt Barkley. And as much as I think Matt Barkley, they want Matt Barkley around, I think that if it comes down to it, they could elect to say, we're going to let Matt Barkley go, sign him to the practice squad so he's still here every day, and keep Jake Fromm because if we let Jake Fromm go, we're not going to see him anymore. That, that would be my argument, Ryan. What do you think? I think it's a valid argument, but at the same time, the way Josh Allen plays, he he plays a physical game. He's a guy that you could see missing a game or two. And who would you? And you're right. I mean, if you have him on the practice squad, Barkley, that is, you could promote him. You can have him up there on a week by week basis. But I would just feel more comfortable if an in game situation arose where Allen went out. Who are you going to feel more comfortable to to lead you to that victory? And in my opinion, it's going to be Barkley because Barkley at least knows the ins and outs of this playbook. Rom, he's still new. There hasn't been that off season. There's some questions about how he fits here in terms of the arm strength. He, you know, he, he has that anticipation possibly, which would, would help him. That's the one area that might be the strength that saves him in terms of being an NFL quarterback. But I just feel like at the end of the day, I had Barkley on there just because of his experience in this offense. Hey, you know, a lot of people and myself included kind of knocked his 2019 performance. But if you remember the Patriots game, he did lead them down the field late. He didn't, wasn't able to punch it in there. And the week, week 17 game against the Jets, who did he really have around him from a talent perspective to help him, to build him up? He didn't have anyone. You go to 2018, that game against the Jets, where he had all the starters at, at his disposal, he played a pretty good sound game where he could depend on that defense. So uh, it, it just came down to experience for me, and I didn't know if Fromm could necessarily 
handle that responsibility in year one. But you're right. If he goes to the practice squad, even if he clears waivers originally, there could be a team middle of the season that say, hey, you know, we we liked this guy. We just didn't have a, a round where we could draft him we could because we had other needs. So he, he's not a lot to stay here long term if they do that. But I'm also thinking how important 2020 is and what these expectations are for the Bills. And if Allen's out for two weeks, three weeks, I'd feel a lot more confident knowing that I had Barkley on my main roster with no possibility of, of losing him. And remember, though, they do um, this year, there is a 55-man game day roster, not 53, mm-hmm. um, that you can bring two guys up from the practice squad to be activated just in case you have, you know, something happen. And that, But one of those guys has to be an offensive lineman to make eight. If you want the 55, you got to have eight offensive linemen. It's kind of a weird rule. Um it's not about Barkley, the player for me. I, I agree with everything you said. It's really about the numbers for me, you know, more than anything. I think it's a, it really comes down to how many quarterbacks they want to carry on the active roster. And with COVID and all this, man, you could definitely make an argument that this is the first year they're going to say we got to carry three. Guys, I could see four quarterbacks still in this organization, you know, in September. Mm-hmm. All the guys that are on now. So in your scenario, on both you guys, I, I do you see, like, Matt, I saw your 53, man. You're saying Jake Fromm would get cut right right uh, so do you think the same thing ryan like or would they keep three my last mock had, or my last 53 projection had three quarterbacks but as we as we get closer to the season it, it's so tough to build this roster based on the talent and the depth that they have the you know i go p- position by position i know i'm jumping all over the place here but i look at linebackers and i don't know who they're keeping beyond those three so I don't know if they want to keep how many they want to keep there. And that even factors into the, the decision of how many quarterbacks you're keeping, the special <sighs> that they're keeping. So it, it's so tough that right now I'm thinking they are going to end up keeping two quarterbacks. And you're right. They might lose from, which would not kind of fit what Bean has done in the past in terms of drafting and giving up on someone to speak by putting him on through waivers and possibly losing him so quickly. And I think Barkley, just so everybody knows, Barkley is a $2 million cap hit this year. Mm. I'm interested to hear from the coordinators this week. I think if we get them this week or maybe next week at the start of camp, uh, I'd like to hear from Brian Dable on so far what Jake Fromm has been like in the meeting rooms. Because one of the big selling points, I remember Brandon talking about him after they drafted him, was super high football IQ. Everybody he talked to down at Georgia, he knew everything, the inside and out of the playbook, uh, what everybody's role on the team was. The, the guy just knew the game and knew how to communicate the game to other players. And that's a big selling point for a quarterback. Now he's in the room. What are the early returns on that? Is is he somebody that can, that can help Josh Allen holding the clipboard as Matt Barkley has done, as Davis Webb, we're learning, is really able to do? He's kind of like the dark horse in all of this. I feel like Davis Webb, a guy that has really never gotten a, a chance in this league and a guy that if he's as smart as everybody in the organization is telling us that he is, almost like that you know, uh, that extension of Ken Dorsey and Brian, Brian Dable, I think that he could potentially be in the running, uh, maybe not to be the main backup, but definitely like you mentioned, be kept in the organization. Yeah. And by the way, Elliot in the chat box, don't call your family stupid. Come on, man. That's okay. It's all right. You had family stuff going on that you were late, but it's okay. (laughs) Stupid family stuff. It's just family stuff. We all got it. That's all. I had a dog barking earlier. I had to step away. Um, It's going to be an interesting debate with the uh, running back with the quarterbacks guys. So I, I think, you know, one thing bills fans can really take solace in having this debate is a really healthy thing because it just shows you how strong and deep this roster is. 100%. Um, 
Let's move on to the running backs because, you know, this one, I think there's definitely two locks in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, what everybody expects to be the uh, 1A and 1B at some point this season, maybe not off the bat. I still think it's going to be a pretty heavy dose of Devin Singletary early on. We'll see how that all plays out. But TJ Yeldon's interesting because they're going to have Taiwan Jones, who's going to be that special teams ace, a guy that they, they call upon, but who we saw last season can impact the game on offense as well. Made a big play against the Bills in the Houston playoff game, set up the you know the winning score. So where are you on TJ Yeldon? Because Ryan has him as a lock. You and I, Sal, do not. Well, I, I think he's probably going to make the team. I just, I stopped short of saying a lock because I think it really, de- they're going to have to determine. TJ Yeldon isn't a core special teams guy. A Taiwan Jones is. I mean, Taiwan Jones is a lock. He's making the team. He's a, it's a different bucket. You got your running backs and then you got a guy who plays special teams. That's a different position, basically, all in all. And that's what, what, what Ryan said earlier. Taiwan Jones and Tyler Medikavich are kind of in there. Andre Roberts is in that bucket, right? They're just those guys who make it. TJ Yeldon's also going to have to now. I like TJ Yeldon. I think he should have been used more last year. But if the Bills feel confident in the guys they have catching the ball out of the backfield, there's no reason to keep him over a core special teams guy if that's all he's going to do and he's going to be inactive a lot. Now, that remember, last year he was inactive quite a few games. I think at the end of the day, he makes the roster. It's hard for me to put him as a lock because of all the other things we talked about with the special teams abilities. From Now, I think Yellen did play some special teams last year. He really didn't mm-hmm. in his career before that. But he's not a guy like Taiwan Jones and Tyler Medikavich or Andre Roberts. No, and I agree. And that was actually my initial list, Matt. When I was driving home, I went back through. He did not make my final a lock list. But I agree. I think he's going to make this roster. I think there's going to be some talented guys that get cut, though, that maybe the Bills even like more than, than Yeldon. They say, well, he kind of fits better at the end of the day if they really wanted to keep him. So uh, he was kind of cut off that list with Tommy Sweeney and one or two other players because I was actually in the low 40s originally. And I'm like, I went back through and I said, well, wait a minute. I think they're going to make the roster, but I don't have them as a, as a lock anymore. For instance, I had uh, Evan Bame as a lock originally, and now I think he's going to make the roster but I don't have him on this next list as a lock. So I did go back and tinker a little bit, uh, but I, I think Yeldon makes it at the end of the day. But no, I only had those three, Singletary Moss and Taiwan Jones as the locks in the running back room. I totally understand, Ryan. The It, it was a, a grace period where the zesty spice from possibilities <laughs> wore off. Right. And once that finally wore off, you came to your senses and fixed your... Uh, your, your locks. No, I understand. Uh, Sal, six offensive linemen, no Inseki and no Brian Winters as locks. Um, you know what? I don't know why I didn't have Brian Winters. I should have Brian Winters. Okay. But however, I will tell you, I always get a little worried about, is there a reason why he got cut from the jets? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. I do think about that. So I guess I, I'd probably put him as a lock now if I redid it, maybe gone one extra, but I'll defend not having him a lock here for just for a second because he mm-hmm. wasn't on the list I gave you. And that is for that reason. Like the bills gave him $3 million. I think he's probably going to be on the team. He's probably close to a lock because they need that right guard. But is there a reason the jets got rid of him when they did, you know, does he show up and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, like he wasn't as healthy as we thought or something was going on. He just, he doesn't seem like he has anything left in the tank. So I probably just more of an oversight on me with winters, but that would be a reason why he wouldn't make the team if something like that happened. Inseki to me is not a lock at all. In fact, I think Ty Inseki is very much a roster bubble player at this point. Um, to me, Ryan Bates is much more of a lock than Ty Inseki. I think I might've had Bates actually as a lock on mm-hmm, my list here. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you didn't, I don't know if you did, Ryan, um, Ryan Bates is the backup center 
because John Feliciano's out and he can play all five positions. Right. His position one is center, his position two is tackle, and then he can even play guard in a pinch. So I think Ryan Bates, this team really likes him. They traded for him in the middle of training camp last year, and he made the roster after two weeks as an undrafted free agent coming out of this team late in training camp. That says a lot about what they thought about him. And Ty and Secchi, let's remember, guys, you know, there were concerns about him finishing games every week. That's why mm. it's part of the reason they rotated with him and Cody Ford. So as much as I think he can help the team, they also signed Daryl Williams. And I just can't see th basically him and Daryl Williams and Ryan Bates, for that matter, all making the team. So I think Nseki probably has a little bit of a leg up on Daryl Williams, but I certainly wouldn't call him a lock. So I agree with everything you just said there. I'm very high on Ryan Bates. I don't think that he gets nearly the credit that he deserves for how he played every time his name was called. And we're talking about in some spot duty last year. I thought every time we saw him, he left me feeling much better than what we saw from Spencer Long. And obviously they moved on from him. Uh, but to your point on Brian Winters as well, Spencer Long came in here after a year with the Jets after starting 13 games, and 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 maybe obviously there were some money reasons they moved on, but maybe didn't live up to what they were hoping for from him in, in terms of what he was able to do. Now he was he had a lot of spot duty. I mean he didn't get any starts, but um, I think to, that that's a good point. We'll see where things land with winners and how he's able to contribute if he's still the same player after you know a lot of injuries and the, and the injury last last year, anytime you're dealing with some, so, some sh shoulder uh, situations later on in your career, that's always something to talk about. But in terms of Inseki and why I think he's a lock is because I had a conversation with um, uh, uh, somebody from the league at the combine and there's somebody that uh, used to play offensive line in the league and absolutely destroyed the bills offensive line tape from 2019 in the month between the um, end of the season and or so in the, in the combine. And he said, there were several times while watching games that I thought that Ty Inseki was the best player on the field. That, that high upside to your point, you're right. Cause there were times I would walk in the locker room after a game and Ty Inseki was laboring. And I was like, man, this guy, 34 years old. Now he's 35. I mean, this is why he's not starting. I mean, the guy really it physically might not be able to do this anymore. But when he is able to do it, he does it really, really well. He's a really good player. He is. I think it's more about health than anything else. I just don't know if they can count on him for 16 games. He did get hurt last year, but that was a freak thing more mm -hmm. than anything. It wasn't mm -hmm. because he couldn't hold up. He got rolled up on in Miami, so he did miss several games. But they had to rotate, and part of it was, hey – we want to see Cody Ford, but we want him to develop. We won't want to put all that on him. But part of the rotation was also because I think that they wanted to make sure they had it. It was load management essentially for Ty and Secchi. Right. Can you afford to continue to have load management? I think that that's, and if you can, that's fine. I just, I wouldn't go um, with a lock. Uh, I know also I want to answer this question. If I came from someone in the chat, truth to heart said the bills right. kept seven receivers last year and he included Duke Williams. They did not keep Duke Williams last year. He was released at the, final cuts. And then he was signed to the practice squad. And then he was activated to the 53 man roster later in the year. Mm -hmm. He got three games right before Nashville scored the game winner, had two quiet games, then was on the active roster. If I'm correct for the rest of the season. And, and then he didn't play again to the jets. Yeah. He, after they traded Zay Jones is when, well, actually it was before that, but he was, he, he was released at final cuts basically and signed to the practice squad. Cause there was a big right. uproar from bills fans who were mad who, that he didn't make the final roster last year. I'm remembering that correctly. Am I not? You are right. You are right. You are I went back and looked at that. Sure. Yes. Okay. 
All right, let's move on to um, some of these other uh, questions here. One guy that, or let, let's let's hit the defensive line real quick because in my projection here, and one of the reasons I went with no Lee Smith was because I wanted to go with nine defensive linemen if I could because I have some question marks about Harrison Phillips and how quickly he'll be able to assume the role that he had last year. And and as we're sitting here right now, you know Vernon Butler, you know. I think expectations are pretty high for him, not only within the fan base, but within the organization, the coaching staff, et cetera. But, you know, he still has yet to, I, I don't know if his fit necessarily is, is that grinder 50% of snaps one technique. I mean, he had a lot of success as a pass rusher last year in the Carolina's defense. Now we'll see. I'm sure that, you know, the bills, you know, did their homework and did their due diligence and believe he could play that role. But I, I still think Harrison Phillips is the guy that you think could probably be the perfect fit to replace star. Now you made a good point about Vincent Taylor, who you think can push Vernon Butler for maybe even a roster spot. And again, someone I agree. I think he's more of a, a fit for that typical or prototypical one tech. Yeah, I think that, you know, Vincent Taylor, he played pretty well in the couple of games he played last year. He did play for the Bills in the regular season last year. It's funny you say about Harrison Phillips. I love Harrison Phillips. I think the team loves Harrison Phillips. He, was, he wasn't he was just like coming on. He was cutting into Star's snap counts in right. those three games. He was the guy. But there are question marks. He could also, who knows, maybe he's not ready. Maybe he winds up on some sort of list. To be honest with you guys, I actually added him at the end to my locks because I'm like, boy, is he a lock? What if he just doesn't recover fully? I have question marks as well, but at the end of the day, I, you can't, I don't think you can keep more than four defensive tackles, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're talking defensive tackles to me, it's Oliver, it's Quentin Jefferson, it's Harrison Phillips. And then, you know, Vernon Butler had a nice year under Eric Washington last year in Carolina, but guys, he hasn't really lived up to his first round status and Vincent Taylor has been in this system. So probably Butler over Vincent Taylor, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely rule out Vincent Taylor winning a roster spot. Right. No, I agree with that. You know, it, when I went through my D line, I, I had Hughes, Addison, Epineza, Oliver, Butler, Quentin Jefferson, and Harrison Phillips as my locks. And, and the reason I went with Butler over uh, as one of my locks is just because of that experience he's had with Eric Washington throughout his entire career. I think that favors a guy uh, like him who who's coming off of a six sack year, who who maybe the light bulb finally did go on. But you're right. They, they have some talented players there that that's, that could be vying for those depth jobs. Uh, Matt, you had Daryl Johnson making the roster in, in your latest one. You know, not a lot to me, but I know that, that they obviously gave him some reps there at, at defensive end as a rookie. They played him a lot on special teams, so he has that shot. So it, it's going to be tough, but I, I do feel like they have their fair share of locks. Uh, but the, the Harrison Phillips argument's great because who knows coming off of an injury like that. He's kind of in that same boat as Feliciano on the offensive line. Who knows if he's going to start on a list or not? Obviously, Feliciano more likely based on the, the timeline of his injury. Uh, but at the end, at the end of the day, I just had to go with Butler based on on his experience in this uh, system under Eric Washington and, and the fact that uh, those two have worked together for so long and so many years. Linebacker is an interesting one. I think all four of us came in with uh, the 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 usual four suspects as as locks here with Edmonds, Milano, and Klein expected to be your starting three. Tyler Medikevich, who uh, is going to be the backup middle linebacker and obviously special teams uh, standout. 
then it's interesting. I mean, I feel like it's it's anybody's guess when it comes down to Voshan Joseph, Corey Thompson, and uh, Tyrell Dotson. You know, all three of them have different things going for them. I feel like Joseph, you know, he, he was the highest draft pick. They used a fifth-round pick last year. Super athletic, quick, fast. Corey Thompson has already had some success in this scheme with this team. And then Tyrell Dotson is that guy that, obviously was kept around for a reason when he was going through some off the field issues, domestic violence uh, situation that ended up working itself out, uh, who has crazy versatility. I was talking to Julian Stanford last year uh, at the uh, red, white, and blue scrimmage. And he told me this kid is crazy. He could play every position. He came in from day one, studied the playbook and, and literally they put him at middle linebacker, weak side, strong side. It doesn't matter. He can do it all. So I think that they kept him around for a reason. They really like him. But I'm wondering if they can, and I want your your thoughts here, Sal. Can they stash him on the practice squad? Maybe keep Joseph, who who you drafted, or maybe even is Corey Thompson in the mix because they know if an injury happens that he's done it before. Boy, this is a really really good battle. The I, um, before I came on your show tonight here, I tweeted out, "Hey, these are the camp battles I'm really most intrigued about," and this was one of them, which mm-hmm. is who are out of these three guys. Who makes it? We're probably only looking at one out of the three making the roster. Thompson, Dodson, and Joseph. And they're also, you could make an argument for every one of them, as you just laid out so well. To answer your question, could they stash Dodson? I think they could. I think they could put him on the practice squad. But you never know. Maybe a team you know, likes him. There's, there's going to be a lot of, probably not as much movement this year from teams signing guys on other practice squads because you do have to wait five days for them basically to get in your facility. So mm-hmm. they might be able to do that. They probably could, any of these guys could probably be there, but you know, you also want him on your active roster. If he's going to help boy, Voshan Joseph is he, the guy plays, he, he's a madman out there. Mm-hmm. The other, if you watch, he's a heat seeking missile problem is sometimes it puts himself in a bad position, but I think he's got all that energy that this team loves. I think right now, because of the situation with COVID and all of that, I'd probably put Corey Thompson a little ahead on the depth chart. That doesn't mean it can't change in a week or in two weeks, but right now, because of the shortened off season, this is a guy that you know has played valuable snaps for you in regular season games who they trust. And I think that's very, very important right now. But Matt, you said it, you drafted Voshan Joseph. You have an mm-hmm. investment in that. You kept Terrell Dodson around for a reason. What is that reason? I don't know how this is going to go, guys. I give it a 33.3 infinity chance for each of them. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Moving right along. Cornerback, Ryan, start us off here. I think it really comes down to Dane Jackson versus Cam Lewis. And I went with Dane Jackson on the 53-man roster, uh, which broke my heart to do so because obviously, you know, Syracuse hat, this is a UB horns up household right here. And, you know, Cam Lewis is a guy that, you know, going into that Carolina game last year, he was he was holding his own. He was playing really well. Sean McDermott loves his feistiness, his mentality, the way he plays the game has also some versatility inside and outside. But I think that, you know, Dane Jackson's a guy that I think they have some high hopes for. Well, I, I agree with that, but I, I would almost call this a 50-50 shot for both of those players. You can't discredit the, the knowledge of the system that Lewis has. He knows this system. He's been here a year. You just said it yourself. He was holding his own last year. And, and based on where this cornerback room is, yeah, you, you have White, you have Norman, Norman you have Wallace. You have Taron Johnson and, you know, Saran Neal, I'm just going to call defensive back. You have him on this roster. But after that, I, I think it's it's up in the air. So it, they drafted Dane Jackson, but we're talking last pick of this draft. He's another guy that I think would be an ideal candidate if he doesn't make the roster. 
for this practice squad. So I, I think Lewis has just as good of a shot right now, especially if he picks up where he, he left off last year. If he knows the ins and outs of that playbook and the, and the fact that he has a little bit of that versatility obviously bodes well for him where I think Jackson has that too. He, he showed that he could break up a lot of passes at Pitt. That was something he did very well, especially in 2018, 2019. Uh, but they might feel like he, he's more of a fit on the inside or on the outside, one or the other. So I, I wouldn't give up on Cam Lewis yet. So I, I get in this, when we do these uh, 53-man rosters, you have to pick one or the other. I'm not saying that it, they're out on Cam Lewis at this point in time by any means. You know, guys, back in January, I, I looked at each position group, and it was interesting. When I got two corners, Saran Neal was listed as a corner on the team's roster. If you look now, Saran Neal is listed as a safety on the team's <laughs> roster. So it kind of also, you think about how they view him. I think he's a safety, but I get the last year he played corner. He's a big nickel corner is what he could be as well. He played inside. He he filled in for Taron Johnson, you know, Um the other part is, though, talking about corners, I, I think that Serenial is considered a safety. So for these purposes, we think about corners. If you put him in that side and you put him as a safety, let's remember what happened in the finale against the Jets last year. This team was so thin at corner. They had Isaiah McKenzie playing there. They mm. were so worried about losing another guy because they were resting guys, and then Levi Wallace got hurt. So I could see a scenario where they keep an extra cornerback just because they don't want to be in a position like that last year. And then you wonder, and then that impacts the safety numbers, you know, and does Saran Neal fit as a safety and they only probably keep four counting him, which I think obviously we're going to talk about, but I, I could see a scenario where both Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis make this roster simply because they do not want to be left thin in a position where they were really left thin last year. I I I, th I remember us week after week after asking Sean about that, and he always kind of looked at me funny whenever I brought it up. Yeah. And I part of the reason they did that is because they really do have this belief that Taron or even Saran Neal can get thrown outside in a in a pinch. And I and I get that, but to your point, yeah, you always want depth. It's safety. I feel like it's a pretty locked up four man group of the starters: Hyde Employer, Dean Marlowe, who I think will assume the Kirk Coleman role. Uh, this year and then Jaquan Johnson who you know for a while there Ryan and I were talking about it I thought if they didn't extend an offer to Jordan Poyer I thought it was because of what they thought Jaquan Johnson was ready for uh, whether not maybe not this year but the year after but I still think you know this defense a lot of the success that this defense has had has been predicated on the fact that Hyde and Poyer can do what they can do Poor Jaquan Johnson. This kid is going to maybe go four years of his first his rookie contract and not be able to see the field that much right. because who he's behind, right? I mean, and I like him. And I think the team likes him. I was impressed with him preseason last year. I was really impressed with him in week 17 last year. He actually had a really nice interception. They got called back on a penalty against Sam mm -hmm. Darnold and the Jets. Um, you know, but he's on the team, right? I mean, like this is a guy that they like, they invested in, they want to have around. And, you know, they did resign Jordan Poyer. Micah Hyde still has two years left on his contract. But I, I think the question here is, again, back to what I said about Saran Neal. If you count Saran Neal just as a safety, I do think that impacts what they do with Dean Marlowe. But Dean Marlowe, probably more in than out. I, I don't doubt that. He's been with Sean McDermott for five years now. He goes back to two years in Carolina with Sean McDermott and then three years in Buffalo, counting two, 2017 on the practice squad. They really trust him. I think Kirk Coleman, that's a great comparison of what they think about him, how he could be a leader back there, how he knows the system back there. But I would not put Dean Marlowe as a lock simply because if they want to be a little bit more thick on the cornerback side as far as numbers – 
then you count Saran Neal basically as a safety. I think that's got to leave a man out. And I think Dean Marlowe could be that guy if that's the case. 100%. And again, who, another ideal candidate for that practice squad who he, I'm not saying he's not, he's not old, but he's not young in terms of those players that a lot of teams are looking to poach and develop. He's a guy that you can have on that practice squad that if you needed to bring him up because of injuries or things like that, you know he could come in and fill right in without missing a beat. But he's also probably one of those safer players that you could have on your squad as well. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, he is uh, – Dean Marlowe is a, also a guy that, as you guys pointed out, you know, knows the system and can step right in. And there is value to that having on your active roster instead of, you know, just having on the practice squad every day because, you know, he's getting more of the reps. He's getting in there. He's, you know, setting an example, showing other guys what to do. So I, I just think it's an interesting – thought here at safety on how they want to uh, handle Saran Neal and how that could be a domino effect. I want to get out of here. I, I told you 40 and we're already up to, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but you know, let's close the show out here with the, the special teams because you just put out your uh, also go over to WGR 550 Sal uh, did a series position by position group uh, really dove in on each player. Today was the finale uh, with the specialists. And I, I have Bass and Vedvik and Reed, Reed Ferguson and, the more I think about it, the more I think, well, if Vedvik makes the team and if he makes the team as a punter and he beats out Corey Bohorquez, that's fine. But if it's close and they like the idea of, I, I think I saw this on a tweet um, thread that you were involved in today. If they keep him and they like the idea of Hauschka still, his dependability you know, from 40 and, and less, why not maybe let Vedvik kick the long ones, be the punter, and then you got Hauschka who, who went four for four in the playoff game. I still... Agree with with Ryan though that you, you go out and spend a sixth round draft pick you know you maybe you want to hand things over to the kids so where do you see this kind of thing whole, all playing out? You know as much as Heath Farwell basically says you know Stephen Hauschka is the incumbent and you know he's the veteran and I think he had mentioned something like that when people are asking someone is it job his job to lose it's you know the the veteran's job guys I think it's Tyler Bass's job to lose to be quite honest with you mm -hmm. you don't draft a kicker in the sixth round and then cut him unless he basically really screws it up. I think the only way Tyler Bass doesn't make this team is if Tyler Bass screws it up. I don't think it has anything to do with Steven Hauschka, to be honest with you. They know what they can get from Steven Hauschka. He's been reliable. He had some struggles last year, but I think, hey, you know what? If Tyler Bass isn't good in, in camp, then we still got Steven Hauschka. But if Tyler Bass is what they think he is, he makes the team. I mean, you don't draft kickers in the NFL. Only three were drafted this entire draft in 2020. The Bills have only drafted seven since 1970. It's not a position that you'd usually spend an asset on, and they did, and that should tell you something. And I agree. If if Bass makes the roster, there's no reason to have somebody extra for the long field goals. So then it just comes down to a basic punting battle between Vedvik and Bohorquez. Yeah, 100%. And again, I like Bass for all the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, the big leg, even if it's a 50-50 or even if it's 60-40 Hauschka in terms of who performs better, I still think you go with Bass just because of the upside there. Uh, this is a team now where, yeah, every team has a few games that come down to a kick. But based on this offense, based on the talent you have, hopefully you're not depending on a kicker to win you a lot of games this season. They should be able to put up enough points on, on the offensive side of the ball alone. Get that dog's medicine, right? Is that what the alarm is? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know it. Uh, punter battle, who knows? I feel like that's up in the air. Uh, Bohorquez, I, I want to say he was one of the worst in terms of net, net punting yards last year, but he had so many inside the 20 and, and right. a lot of it has the field position. So I don't know how they feel about him necessarily. I, I think they like him enough, obviously, 
But I would love to see Vedvik get a fair shot at it. He, he definitely devoted himself just to being solely a punter uh, after those kicking woes last season. And then obviously the only one that I know, think we're all sure of is Reed Ferguson, just because there's one, he's great at what he does and there's no other competition for there's him. No so competition. he's he's the only lock that I, I feel 100% confident in on special teams. But uh, I feel like it, it bashes his job to lose that kicker. And I think it's 50-50 for the punter job. I got a, um, we're, we're redoing our basement uh drywalling we're, we're we're through the three phases of the mud phase that, that was a foreign term to me before i learned it and we we were using my studio lights down there because you know we were doing electric and all this stuff blew out both of my lights uh down there whether it was mud falling on it then falling over so i ordered a new light came just before the show today and my my initial it's one of those ring lights and one of my first initial reviews is it makes me sweat profusely i don't know if you can tell but i'm just dripping here no so we we're gonna call it be a sweat you're okay all right good but we are gonna call it a show anyway sal capaccio wgr 550 sal sports and stuff podcast giving us an hour of his time to really dive in to what this thing's gonna look like guys we are a couple days away i mean we're going to be out watching some football finally i can't wait to do it usually sal and i are uh bumping elbows joking around talking about uh you know your football team and this is this is that time of year i mean what what are we now a month almost exactly from the first game i believe tomorrow is one month exactly it's, it's the it's september 13th and tomorrow's october uh, august 13th so yeah wow anything else anything any shout out let me give you the floor for a second if you if you have anything to say no no i, I shout out to you guys thank you very much for having me and, and you know chat box you know it's funny back in the day i i used to do this a little bit before i got back into radio and this was kind of my this was kind of my vehicle back into media. I was in radio. I left, became a teacher and football coach for a long time down in Florida. I wanted to get back into media, and this was my vehicle doing shows like this. And it was so new at the time. I was doing the chat box and stuff like that. That's why I'm always paying attention. You notice that I'm paying. Attention. I love it. I love it. Attention, but it's funny, Matt, because and Ryan, because people would make fun of me and say, "Who's this guy in mom's basement doing a show on the internet?" Right <laughs> now, look what everybody's doing. They're in mom's basement doing shows on the internet. We're all there. You were you were ahead of your time. And what's so funny and ironic about that, I literally was looking for a headshot to use in our promo uh, piece yesterday, and I landed on your Twitch page, which was all which, those shows you were talking which, about. Which was not Twitch at the time. It was called Ustream and, or uh, Justin TV. It was like something back then. Twitch is new. But yes, a, a few people have told me this, that they searched WGR on Twitch, and my, my picture of my me doing these streams – Back 10, 12 years yeah. ago. Yeah. The one I the one I landed on was Dante Whitner focused. I have a great story <laughs> about Dante Whitner sometime. I don't know. Okay. Should I share it now? Yeah, you gotta share it now. Everybody's we still got 70 in here. All right. So I'll tell you my Dante Whitner story because I don't know if people know or remember what happened. Dante Whitner. Dante Whitner and I had have an interesting, like we're tied into history and Bill's history because of this like back and forth that something happened one time and People, some people remember, and they're all saying to me, hey, that was a weird thing with you and Dante Whitner. Here's what happened. So I'm doing this show uh, just like this. This is 2009, 2010. I'm doing a show like this on the internet. This is 10 years ago, a decade ago. And I'm basically kind of like hammering Dante Whitner a little bit on the show. Like, oh, you know, he's not living up to his billing and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly in the chat box is Dante Whitner. <laughs> and he's like, starts telling me like, I don't know. He's, I can't even remember what he was saying. And I'm like, Oh, Dante Whitner, like the chat box is really him or whatever. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And then 
he um he followed me on Twitter and basically I, I remember oh I remember what happened. I he became a free agent and it was in I think it was the off season. It was the he was a free agent in 2011. It was the off season of the uh, the lockout. So he's mm. a free agent. So yeah, we went back and forth. And I remember people like in the chat box, wow, like Dante Whitner's coming in and talking to you. So we had this little thing. So he follows me on Twitter. So we're in the off season in 2011 and I tweeted something about, Hey, Dante Whitner's still a free agent. No one signed him yet. And he tweets back at me. Don't worry, Sal. I'll give it to you first. Ha ha ha. When I sign somewhere, like almost, I couldn't tell if he was joking or not. Right. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, that'd be great if you could give it to me first. Like, tell me. So I start like DMing him and he was serious. Like, yep. Yeah. He's like, all right. Yeah. I'll let you know if I sign somewhere. I'm like, okay. So I'm down in Florida. I get the job in Buffalo. I'm literally in between jobs. I'm at home in an empty house. My wife had already moved to Buffalo. I'm down there and I'm, I'm, you know, ready to go embark on this new life in Buffalo. And I'm just kind of bumping around one day and suddenly Dante Whitner DMs me and he says, all right, Sal, I told you I'd give it to you first. I'm going to the Cincinnati Bengals. That's what he says. Right. And I said, Oh my God, like, can I report this? He goes, let me talk to my position coach first and then you can report it. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I, I remember this day clearly. It was unbelievable. Like, I got the scoop, Dante Whitner. Like, this is gonna, this is really cool. I'm gonna report this kind of thing. So a little while later, it had to be about maybe two, three hours later, he says, Okay, Sal, you can report it. I'm a bang, I'm a bangle. And he and he tweets out who day, because that's the Bengals thing, right? Who day, right? Um, who day, you know, gonna beat the Bengals or whatever. So I said, Former Bill safety per source, leak source, whatever source, inside source. Dante Whitner is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. Everybody's all oh, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Suddenly, maybe about two hours later, it comes out that he signed with the San Francisco 49ers. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy like totally misled me. <laughs> that, but that's not what happened. Dante Whitner had agreed to a deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. He told me that was the case. And then he basically got an over-the-top offer from the 49ers, and he changed after I report it and after he tweets it out. However, because of our run-in on social media before that, people thought he was intentionally misleading me. Ah. Okay? So people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I don't know what's going on. In the meantime, guys, you have to remember, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got this job in Buffalo. I just got hired at WGR. This makes me look like a fool. <laughs> makes me look like an idiot. I'm so scared. What's going to happen? They're going to be like, why do we want this guy? He's just making stuff up in mom's basement down in Florida. <laughs> right? So, so I'm DMing like, dude, what's going on? What happened here? Right? And he, he told me, he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I got this offer or whatever. I said, Dante, this looks bad for me and you, buddy. Like, I just want you to know that, right? <laughs> and then he he tweeted out. He did. He tweeted out. He said, it was not, <laughs> the worst part was, he tried, he tried to apologize and he screwed that up. What he tweeted was, he <laughs> meant to tweet, it was not my intention to mislead Sal Sports. But what he, he left out the word not, and he actually wrote, it was my intention to lead to mislead South Sports. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then he had to correct that later on to say it wasn't. It was a, it was a crazy time. It was a, I couldn't believe it. But that's exactly what happened. And look at you later. 90,000 Twitter followers later. Well, maybe not that many because you're at 90 now. Oh, but yeah. one of the best in the game, man. You, you, it's those trials and tribulations that make us who we are. So. Wait, wait, I have to find, I'll have to find a story or something that was written on it because I remember I got calls from Cincinnati from media people like, 
dude, what happened with Dante Whitner? Why didn't he come to Cincy? And I told him the story. I'm like, he told me he was. He agreed to a contract, and then he went to San Francisco. I'm sorry, guys. That is wild. Wild times from Sal Capaccio. <laughs> Nothing else to say. <laughs> Shout out to you guys for having me on, though. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime. Guys, head over to where uh, I know we're live on YouTube. For whatever reason, we didn't go on Facebook tonight. Uh, technical issues always. You know, we're always dealing with that. <laughs> but head over to wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all those, all those places. Subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps us out. Sales, sports, and stuff podcast as well. Hit that up while you're there. Uh, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com for all your Bills content. He's Ryan Talbot. He is Sal Capaccio. I am Matt Perino. We'll see you in a couple days. Hopefully we get going for uh, Bills Cap. Have a great night, everybody.